Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Now, let's bring in Lorraine Gilbert right now from Wealthwise Financial Services. She's the founder and the CEO. And what a time to be investing, making investment decisions, deciding on investment strategy. What do you do, Lorraine, after a 9.1% CPI print? Right. It's a shocking number, definitely, and it's got investors nervous. But I think when we think about having a level head, when we look at core inflation, has been coming down, did hit a peak. And I don't think that the Fed will be as aggressive as some people are thinking. I think they might stick to the 75 basis points. Nonetheless, no matter what it is, whatever it is that we're looking at, we just have to focus on long-term investing. And with that, I think that investors are actually probably too uh, too worried, too fearful about this and keeping their equity exposure in line with their risk tolerance. So while we've pulled in some cash, uh, not being overly conservative with equity exposure. Laureen, let's talk about this UMICH data if we can here. It's coming in pretty good, actually, at a time when consumer sentiment is extremely, extremely low. How much stock should we put in this particular report? Yeah, exactly. The, the, the consumer sentiment has been extremely low. Um, but when you look at today and the retail sales number, it shows that consumers are still spending. So there's this disconnect between consumer sentiment and and, and actually what people are doing. And I think hopefully that holds because we rely in our economy on the consumer. Two-thirds of our GDP is based on the consumer spending. So, uh, so we are seeing the consumer spending. Now, what we don't really know is how much of that is just higher prices. So higher prices, but people are actually purchasing less, but the prices are higher. So we have to factor that in. But people are spending. The consumer is still strong. And so we think the consumer can weather this, but they're not happy about it. They're not, they're not happy that they're spending extra money on goods. In terms of the Fed, um, you know, 100 basis points has been floated, but it seems like 75 is pretty much a lock. What, what do you expect for, you know, the, the year-end rate or the terminal rate um, from the Federal Reserve? Yeah, I think we're at the three and a half more than the four that might be expected. So, you know, we do think the 75 and then, um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully there's a breather where the Federal Reserve will take a look at how that's really being priced in with the economy and how the economy is taking it. Um, and so I think that what we're going to see this year is a, an aggressive Fed. And next year, they may have to completely reverse course and become much more accommodative based on the economy. So, uh, so, so I think, you know, consumers as well as investors 
just ride this out. Looking specifically, what we're doing is looking for companies that are spending on CapEx, what's going on with share buybacks, you know, what is their strength on cash flow, and those strong companies are what we're looking for. Well, you're talking about fundamentals here. Can we just talk about sentiment for a second? Because do people really want to even be in this market when there's this much uncertainty? It's something you're seeing in commodities, for example, that simply open interest in that market is dropping because nobody wants to navigate the volatility. Can the same be said for the S&P 500? Well, you mentioned a really good point. For sure, definitely emotions get involved when it comes to investing. And that's where we have to help our investors keep emotion out of it and really look at that, you know, I had a client call the other day saying, all I'm hearing is recession, 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 recession. How bad is it? And our feeling is that, you know, one, we're not in a recession yet. And two, uh, it's probably not going to be as bad as people think it's going to be. So with that, yes, we could still see some downside from here on equity prices. But when we look at our year-end numbers on our expectations on the S&P 500, it's higher than what it is right now. So as long as investors can take, you know, and look at it out longer-term view, um, it makes more sense to be invested. And like I was saying earlier, mm. uh, the average investor is still has too little equity exposure. So if I came to you with a million bucks in a three- to five-year time horizon, what would you do? We have that situation right now. We're investing that money. We are putting it to work. Now, that investor that I'm talking about is a modern investor, so holding to that 60-40 allocation and, of course, including alternatives in the mix uh, would make sense. All right. Laureen, thanks so much. Laureen Gilbert, <laughs> their founder and CEO of Wealthwise Financial Services, talking to us about the current investment environment. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Me and Critty have a bet now. We do have a bet. I think that inflation peaked, at least in terms of the headline CPI number, mm -hmm. uh, with the reading that we got, what was that, Wednesday? Yeah, so 9%. Right, 9.1%. 9.1%, nine handle, yeah. So if, if we get a higher number than that, I will take you to dinner wherever you like. And one of your friends, so it's not a date. <laughs> Maybe Noted. maybe my wife could come along. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Um, if I'm right, and let's, if hold on, yeah. if I win and inflation is higher and has not peaked, what do you want? No, no, no. If then you do win, I have to I'll pay take for you dinner? to dinner. And yeah. then if 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 I win, you pay for dinner. Exactly. You take me to the okay, Flying J um in in harrisburg we're going to interview the ceo right now shamik konar ceo of the pilot company i grew up with pilot and the flying j uh i used to drive all the time i still kind of do from uh granville ohio to new york city and i always stop at um at your what do you call them truck stops convenience centers what do you call the flying j or the pilots we call them travel centers travel centers that's right 
I always say truck stop. And thank you for being a customer, Matt. We appreciate it. And hopefully we do a good job for you. No, I, I, obviously I love it or I wouldn't stop there all the time. Um, although it is very convenient, right? They seem to be everywhere, at least for a Midwest boy like me. How many stores do you have and, and, and where are they Where are they focused, concentrated? You know, we, we're actually, we're, we're all over the country. So, you know, we sell fuel out of about 820 locations around the country and and Canada. And, uh, you know, we're pretty much on every major interstate and, uh, and and some of the local roads, depending on the amount of uh, amount of traffic there is. So, you know, it's a pretty, uh, pretty broad network. And, and so I guess... The story is now you're going to put EV chargers everywhere. Is that it? Well, yes, that is. Uh, we are partnering up with General Motors to put uh, EV chargers at uh, at 500 of our locations to start with. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about the transition there. Going from gas stations to EVs, we had a guest on, I want to say yesterday, from GMO, from, from GM. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. I'm aware. Thank you. <laughs> uh, talking about, well, you know, we still have this massive infrastructure to build, but I'm curious about the trade-off there. You know, uh, the, way we, pretty, the way we look at this is our goal is to provide a great experience for our guests and to be able to deliver the form of energy that they need. Right. So, you know, whether 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 people need electricity or whether they need gasoline, our goal is to provide whatever form of energy they need. So, you know, we view this as a as a bit of a natural transition as we, uh, you know, move away from fossil fuels, which is going to take a long time, in my opinion. But uh, but we are moving to a world where we are going to have to service many kinds of guests, as we call them at our travel centers. And I see a future where. You know, for a period of time, we will be selling gasoline, diesel. Uh, you know, we we currently sell a lot of biodiesel, renewable diesel, ethanol, and we'll be selling electricity and possibly hydrogen and, uh, you know, possibly compressed natural gas. So I see this kind of multi-fuel future uh, for us as we work our way through this transition. I mean, I assume that you also want to make money, though, right? So... What kind of margins uh, do you expect from, or, or, or maybe even, you know, gross revenue do you expect from an electric uh, vehicle customer versus someone who's fueling up with gas or diesel? Matt, my, my, my shareholders will be pleased that you bring that up. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but no, look, uh, at this point, it's a little bit of a complicated question. And the reason I, the reason I say that is, uh, you know, uh, the electric uh, procurement rates are actually fairly complicated around the country. So and this is one of the challenges we're working to figure out is based on the rate structures that are offered by utilities in different states. Uh, you can actually have pretty significant variation in the price of electricity and the way electricity is priced, because you have these things called demand charges, where you have to pay regardless of whether you're whether people are charging at your location or not. And if I have to pass all of that on to our customers, or you know, if we have large demand charges, it's going to be tough for us to make money for some period of time. In other states where you don't have demand charges, it's going to be you know possible for us to uh, to to make money. But ultimately, the way I think about it is we have to be competitive with the price of gasoline. So when you think about it on a, 
you know, per mile basis, per mile cost of fuel, we have to be competitive with gasoline. So right now, it's, 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 it's a difficult call to make, but this is something that we're going to have to work through state by state and work through with our customers as well. From a market's perspective, it feels like President Biden's comments that operators of, of, of such facilities as, as yours have the ability to control the, the prices at the pump, the prices that consumers are facing. From a market's perspective, uh, which, which Matt and I talk about on the daily, that seems like a very challenging thing to do. But I'd like to get your response as the owner of, of one of such operators. You know, um, what ends up happening is the factors that drive our pricing are, are generally three things, right? First is what the cost of the fuel is, and this is what you guys uh, talk about all the time, right? Like WPI is trading at 98.42 right now, and, you know, you got unleaded gasoline trading at 222, right? So the cost of the product. Uh, and, and one of the challenges we do run into is we have to carry inventory, so the markets move up and down every day. But we have to carry a fair amount of inventory. So, you know, how we price also depends on what the cost of that inventory in our tanks is. The second factor that comes into play is what our competitors are doing, right? As you know, this is, uh, you know, retail retail fuel is a hyper-competitive industry. I mean, I, I grew up in India. When I came to the U.S., I was absolutely shocked by the fact that you could have three to four gas stations at one intersection, right, competing for prices. So... Competitor behavior comes into play a lot. And these days, uh, you know, with, with what's happened in the U.S. Uh, uh, fuel industry, with the fact that our refining capacity has gone down, you know, kind of 6 six or 7% over COVID, and the fact that we're running low on inventories, localized markets have tremendous dislocations in fuel. You can have markets which are or you can have terminals which are 100 miles apart and you see 50, 60 cent difference yeah. in the cost of fuel. So, you know, what you see on the NYMEX or what you see on the trading in, in the trading markets every day are not necessarily the cost of fuel that we face in local markets. So, you know, those are the yeah. three factors that come into play. And they basically, um, you know, we're in a world right now where we have hurricane level of volatility in fuel yeah, markets absolutely. every day. Shamik, listen, if you're in New York City, please stop by. Love to have you in the studio and talk further about this. If you're in Washington, D.C., maybe go to the White House and explain that to them. I'm in my sweet spot right now. Yeah. My buddy Kevin Tynan just walked in. I haven't seen you in like six years, dude. It's a real bromance in here. Bloomberg Bloomberg Intelligence. He covers the car makers and... uh, Critty, you'll get to know him well. Me and Critty are starting a car podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to have you on it. Um, Let's start by talking about the CT4 Blackwing. (laughs) No, this is a Cadillac product that um, it's tough to get right now, right? Just like every really special vehicle. But I want to hear specifically about this as well. What is it? Well, what what's beautiful is uh, manual transmission. Yes. I think it's 668 horsepower, something ridiculous like that. Uh, But... Luxury. So what is it? A supercharged 6.2 liter V8. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's essentially, it's the four door Z06. Right. More or less. Well, now the they have an Escalade coming out that's yeah, going to yeah. have the same power plant. Yeah. Uh, in terms of getting these cars, it's just impossible. I've, you know, I've bought a Chevy Silverado, ZR2. I think it's the sweet spot for uh, the sort of off road style um, commuter trucks, Starbucks trucks. 
But um, I'm not going to get it. I'm worried I won't get it till the end of the year because of this chip shortage. And I just saw this morning a number across the terminal that was really depressing. Porsche, first half sales, down 5%. And you know that the giant empire of Volkswagen should be able to move all of their chips to their highest margin business. So if they can't even get Porsche sales to rise, we're in trouble. Well, and the other thing that not only are you and customers waiting for product, you're at least in this country, you're paying over MSRP. Yeah, you know, five to ten grand over for just a yep. regular truck. Yep, and, and and it's amazing, right? In all my years of doing this, <clears throat> we've been above MSRP as an industry since October of last year. I wouldn't think that I would have ever seen that, even maybe for one or two automakers for one month. Never mind an entire industry uh, for. Well, it'll be a year by the time this this rings out, but. Uh, I just looked at the chart. Out of the 30-some-odd brands in the U.S., there's six that are still selling below MSRP. Everybody else is above. Wait, Kevin. Wh- wh- what's below? What's below? Uh, there's uh, BMW Mini, uh, Ram, Jeep, and Alfa Romeo. Chevy, so, Chevy Bolt. Oh, well, brand. I'm yeah, talking okay, brand. Okay, okay. Brand on average. Kevin, let's broaden this out for the people like myself who don't know half the words you just said. You and Matt just nerded out about. Let's talk about supply chains here. Yeah. Chip shortages already. Duh. We were just talking to a guest who was saying they're putting more EV charging stations in their uh, their gas trucking stops, transportation centers, whatever. Pilot flying J. Yep. That's yep. the one. Um, but I'm curious how much of it is, is getting ahead of itself. You have a chip shortage. You need more chips to make EVs. That production, it almost feels like is plateauing to some extent, and yet you have this infrastructure that's being built out, and that doesn't even take into account the affordability of EVs, which is more expensive anyway. Right, and and we could do a whole podcast, podcast on this, but <laughs> um, look, I am of the belief, and you're probably not going to hear this in many places, that a lot of this shortages are being orchestrated for those reasons of balancing supply and demand getting over MSRP for product. Uh, you know, so costs have been rationalized in this industry to the point where automakers don't have to push, push, push production, choke the dealers with supply, then throw a ton of incentives at it to, to move it out the door. So to, to put it in context, 4 million units inventory prior to the pandemic, 4 million units on the ground in the US rolling every month. We now have 1.2 million. There'd be roughly a good month in the U.S. would be 1.5 million sales, 1.5 million transactions. So we had two and a half times as many units on the ground prior to the pandemic. Now we're nicely in balance and you're seeing the effect on margins and on pricing power. So in my mind, the motivation for the automakers is it's not a chip. Sh- yeah, there's a chip short. There's I mean, supply I hope there issues. is. Otherwise, I want my truck right now. Right. But you're right. I mean... Between the time that I uh, started shopping for my truck in February and then actually put in the order in April, they raised prices twice on that one specific model. And, of course, they're raising prices across the industry. The only thing that makes me doubt um, an orchestration – I mean, maybe there's a mild orchestration, (laughs) but not like a full-blown conspiracy theory – is that – Dealerships are getting the amount over MSRP, the ADM, if you will. Right. And I think that makes um, the, the – and correct me if I'm wrong – the big producers kind of angry. I think this is an excuse for GM and Ford to say, you know what? We're moving to a direct sales model. 
Well, first of all, I don't think you can scale direct sales, right? If you're a GM in Ford and you're selling two and a half million units a year in this country, I just don't know how you're going direct. The other thing is, look, you're a manufacturer. And, and I say this to people all the time. As a consumer, where you think that the, that the dealership model is, is a bad experience, what do you think that's going to be like when you try and buy vehicles at retail from a manufacturer who's never done it? Right. Right. So, so the idea that that process would actually be better going for, to a company who has never done anything like it in its hundred plus years of existence, to me, makes no sense. But right? there wouldn't be the ADM, which is, by the way, the additional dealer markup. Yeah, there, sure yeah. there would. Right. So, so if, a, if a manufacturer sells to a dealer at wholesale, you think they're going to leave that money on the table for you? No, they're going to sell to you. And, and if, there's, if, there's, if you don't want your truck at the price they want you to pay and there's three people behind you. Good point. Right. So, so the idea that the manufacturer is going to do the consumer a favor by selling directly to them, I think, is, is just misguided. All right. Well, we'll see if they can <laughs> maybe break off little pieces of their business to do that, like Ford split, you know, the EVs away from the ICE business. Yeah, well, that, that tells me two things. Right. One is that that either and I, I don't believe this to be the case, that you don't get how things are retailed at yep. scale in this country or it's not going to be scaled. Kevin, I, I, I could do this for hours, obviously, and someday we will. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Nathan Hager is there to join me because he loves ice cream so much. You mentioned Spider-Man. Back in the day, I used to make the Spider-Man Sunday. Have you ever heard of that? No. What's, how do you do that? So it's vanilla ice cream, and you put chocolate syrup on it in a web pattern. That's all it is. Oh. Yeah. Not too exciting, but it I thought it would back. be red. Yeah, you and would think so. No. Yeah, that actually, oh my goodness, that sounds pretty nice. Strawberry yeah. ice cream with chocolate. Let's I'll ask take it anyway. <laughs> Kim Padel Reguam joins us, CEO at Dryers Grand Ice Cream. Kim, thanks so much for your time. Is it is it National Ice Cream Day today? No, Sunday. It is National Sunday. Yes. Of course it's on Sunday, Matt. I didn't know it would for be a on a Sunday. Sunday. Ice cream Sunday. Ah, Come on. Yes. It's perfectly positioned Absolutely. on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Is it on Sunday every year? It's, it is on Sunday. Well, there you go. So um, how's business right now? I mean, I, I imagine I was just looking for uh, milk futures on the Bloomberg terminal. I imagine those prices have risen along with everything else. You know, so business is very, very strong. So uh, our business, Dryers Grand Ice Cream, and the brands that we have, Haagen-Dazs, Dryers, Drumstick, Outshine, they are all performing so well in the marketplace. I mean, if you look so far this year, we're up double-digit growth coming off, you know, a couple of really big uh, years as well. So we're, the, we're very proud. We're the biggest uh, ice cream manufacturer in America, and we have the biggest brand with Haagen-Dazs. You know, prices um, on some products, I mean, we've seen the inflation like everybody has. And so what we've been trying to do is 
keep our focus on investing in factories. So we are building capacity. It's all we've been focused on for the last two years because we want to make sure when people go to the store and, you know, it, it's a tough time right now, right? Prices are high that we can put a smile on faces with the ice cream that we have. So yeah. um, that has been our big agenda despite all the challenges going on. Yeah, and it is a tough time. And I know when I uh, walk through the uh, ice cream frozen section, I look not just at the prices, but at the size of the cartons, whether you're going to have to shrink things just a little bit more to keep the prices where we expect them to be. Is that something that you're thinking about? So what, uh, we, what we have done is we have, across all of the brands, offered kind of a variety of prices and sizes. So if you look at our Haagen-Dazs um, bars, and those are our snack items that are on sticks, we have uh, brought to the market mini versions of those, so a six-pack of minis, in addition to the regular size item to try to get at that price point that anyone can uh, afford if they want to have you know, a frozen treat. Um, so right now, I think we're well positioned with a big variety in that area, um, but we're looking at it all the time. You're totally right. We have a lot of singles items as well. So if you know, you're in the market for just one item and you want to have a treat versus buying you know, a multi-pack and bringing it home, we've been focused on making sure that as we build out capacity, we're building good capacity in that area with those smaller size items as well. Is there any place to buy... Um, you know, is there any online business for frozen foods? Because when I go to my local grocer, well, any of them, I can't find exactly what I want. They'll have like drumsticks that are a variety pack or they'll have the chocolate core, but I only want the caramel filled drumsticks. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how to get hold of just a big, like a 24 pack of those. A 20, we don't have a 24-pack of the caramel ones only, um, but we do, back to your question, we do have online business, absolutely, right? As we've seen consumers in the last two years in particular accelerate that shift to grocery shopping, um, you know, from behind their iPad or computer at home, we've seen a rise in ice cream as well. Um, people are buying that way all the time. So um, we have great relationships with, um, you know, the um, standalone, um, uh, you know, Amazon, Instacart, companies like that. But also we, we sell quite a bit through the e-commerce arms of major grocery retailers. I've had to wrap my head around the idea of ice cream delivery because I'm always worried that it's going to melt on the way, but that's probably just my You should my try. You'd yeah. be, that is not, um, people, we don't have that problem. And we test it all the time ourselves. So I buy it, you know, myself just to make sure is the consumer experience the one that we would want. Um, but, you know, the delivery service is great these days. It, it, where do you see uh, margins going? I mean, I had a bet with Kriti Gupta moments ago that we saw inflation peak at the last CPI figure. Um, do you agree and do you think margins are going to start to widen out towards the end of the year? I think that, you know, all I can really talk to is sort of out what we're trying to do with our agenda. So what I'd say is my biggest focus is making sure that we continue to invest in the core brands, the quality of the product, that, so that when consumers go to the store, they're, they're willing to pay the price that they see on the shelf for that brand, right? Nothing else. And so we've been focused on that. You know, we are starting to see some, um, you know, price increases hit 
peaks and, and slow a little bit. So that's really promising um, because we want the category to be affordable for people and the brands to be affordable. But what I you know, can absolutely say is we have not slowed down at all, as I mentioned, in the capacity investment, but also the consumer investment, um, the quality of the wrappers on the packaging, the print, the flavors, the inclusions that we're using. We're trying to make those better and better, and we have not slowed down on any of those agendas despite, you know, cost pressures because at the end of the day, we believe that's, you know, when someone buys the product, if they love it the way you love the drumstick caramel cone, mm-hmm. they will come back and buy it again. Just quickly, uh, what sells really well right now when it's super hot in the middle of July? Do you see like popsicles do better than ice cream? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the big flavor? So our brand Outshine is on fire right now. Um, it is a fruit-based uh, brand. So fruit is the first ingredient. Um, we have it in a variety of flavors. My personal favorite is the lime outshine bar. Um, and, you know, all of ice cream in the hot weather does very well. But that's in particular, we're, we're selling um, quite a few outshine bars, um, strawberry, pineapple, mango, if you have not tried them, please do. But they're extremely refreshing. And I would say on a really hot day, it's what I would reach for. I got to go hit the pantry right now, Matt. Dude, you get to go. Uh, Laurel, Maryland, I think, is one of the biggest ice cream manufacturing facilities in the world for dryers. Yeah, yeah. gonna have to. You check go there. That out. Greg Jarrett can head over to Bakersfield. <laughs> I mean, for a number of reasons, but for the ice cream. That's as well. a hike from San Francisco, though. Uh, it's probably far, but he can fly. He's got a pilot's That's license. That's true. Yeah. Um, Kim, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure talking about ice cream, especially ahead of National Ice Cream Day on Sunday. Nathan Hager and Matt Miller. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.